right, let's let Rebecca in. Here she comes. She's on her iPhone. What would we have done without our phones? Hey. Rebecca! Hey. How are you? So good. Hey, hi, uh, hi Rebecca, I'm Jim. Hi, Jim. Nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you. How, it's a beautiful day. It is such a nice day. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks are you, for inviting Are you camping? Me. Yes, we are camping. <laughs> We're up in, up in uh, near Preston, Idaho. Oh, wow. Okay, that's nice. Yes. Very I'm, glad well, I'm glad you could get away. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. Well, we want you to be safe. So just make sure you're six feet away from other bears or tigers or exactly. yes. anybody Birds, else out there. Squirrels, all of that. Yes. <laughs> Good. So Rebecca, our podcast is called Little Things First, and we focus on the little things that schools can do, school leaders in particular, but not just school leaders, um, to try to help make a difference in the learning that's taking place in their in their school. And we know that you've got a lot of expertise in a number of areas. And, and if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, and what you do. Okay, so um, on a personal note, I have been married 21 years. I have four children stemming from ages 17 down to seven. Um, and I have been in education teaching special education since 2002, but I've been in Ogden School District as a behavior specialist for the past six years. So as the behavior specialist in Ogden School District, I support schools in implementing and uh, supporting their behavior systems. Perfect. And then as you talk about the coaching that you're doing, you're in a number of different schools, right? Yes. Um, so Initially, when we started this, I think, I don't know how common it had been for school districts to have uh, behavior specialists on, on their, you know, staff, but yeah. uh, special education, it was definitely utilized more often to have behavior specialists or, you know, behavior analysts to, to do programs. And, uh, but Ogden School District started incorporating behavior specialists for the general education population six years ago, which is why I came on. So back then we just had myself and, and one other person in my department to support. And now that person is a director um, of our department and our department now has, I think about 30 people in it uh, or more. I, I don't know. Oh. It's at this point, it's just growing because of the need for behavior. So my job has morphed over the years from supporting all tier one, well, building first tier one, tier two, and tier three behavior systems within the school district to now as our department has grown and others have been able to support those endeavors. I am primarily doing tier two system support. So I'm assigned 10 schools, um, you know, or half the schools in our district to support them in their tier two uh, behavior system support. And then I also support the PBIS tier one school-wide for our district. So, so as you work with these different schools and as you've worked in your department that's been growing and growing, what are you noticing about behavior support or social emotional learning? What are you noticing that um, schools are doing that is really supporting students 
um, as they're continuing to, you know, find themselves and now with this COVID even just other stressful situations? What, what are schools doing that's making a difference? I think recognizing that addressing a student's social emotional needs and well-being alongside academics, it's no longer one or the other. It's definitely a partnership and a merging of the two. We cannot teach a child who is struggling emotionally, uh, but we can teach them if we are addressing and honoring those emotions that they are feeling. But at the same time, we do a real disservice if we are only looking at the emotional needs and not incorporating the academics as well. So it is, it's a, it's a partnership between the two. And so I think that um, what Ogden District has been doing really well lately is really merging that ac the academic learning with the social emotional learning and making it really intertwined. You know, it's interesting, we, we, a couple episodes ago, we're talking with uh, Curtis Linton and he made a connection with, it's like uh, watering your grass and also fertilizing your grass, right? So if you fertilize right. and don't water, you're really not gonna maybe have that growing. And he didn't really necessarily talk about it as SEL, he talked about it in the sense what he, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, but that connecting with kids, right? Yes. So yes. I think that we're, we're basically in that same vein that kids have to have that belonging, that yep. connection um, with, the, with the teacher, if you will, um, in, in order to get both that watering, which might be the academic and that, that fertilizing, which might be that connection that we have right. with kids. Right. And, and because if it's, it's a good balance, I actually really like that analogy because if you just fertilize without the water, you're going to yeah. not have a very positive outcome, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and if you just water too much, you know, and overcompensate, you're not going to have a positive outcome. So I really like that analogy of it, it really is a fine balance. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So why, why this, you know, growing need for behavior support in schools, you know, it just seems like it continues to, the need continues to grow. Like what's, what do you attribute that to? So in, in the years that I have been really analyzing behavior, and when I, when I talk about the years, I'm talking, I've been fascinated with behavior and looking at why people are responding the way that they are to things. Honestly, my first realization of this was when I was in first grade. I, I was looking at my classmates and wondering why they respond a certain way instead of another and what was the outcome and what would have been a better way to respond. I just remember sitting in my first grade class <laughs> thinking this. And so my fascination with behavior um, started really back then. And as I grew and started babysitting, I would get lots of babysitting jobs because I was more about making sure the children's behavior was appropriate. And let's teach the appropriate behavior. You know, when I'm 11, 12 years old, I mean, just really appropriate <laughs> behavior only because I recognized at an early age, it's a more functional way to get your needs met when you can respond appropriately. So, um, so then as I've been in special education and I taught in behavior units, again, wanting to really get that I wanted to be able to work with any student with any behavior and quite honestly not be afraid and I didn't like that feeling as a classroom teacher when that student would walk in the classroom and my stomach would start hurting because I thought what are they going to dish out to me today and am I going to be able to manage it 
and I did not want that feeling. And, and that occurred my second or third year of teaching where I thought, I don't know that I have the skills to work with this student. Actually, it happened my first year, but after my third year of teaching, I thought, I, I don't like this feeling. So that's when I really decided I wanted to explore and, and have all the training I possibly could in behavior management. And then from there, it just became a true fascination for me to, to, explore, to explore that behavior. And so as through that, what I have recognized, especially the past few years, so I'm currently, I've finished my coursework to become board certified as a behavior analyst or the BCBA. Um, I'm ready to take my test. I'm just Yay. waiting for approval. Yes. So, so I'll be able to do that. But in this, what I've realized, especially in the past few years, kids are not learning to emotionally regulate and they are learning to be distracted from their emotions and so rather when a kid is bored and help them to be able to process through that boredom or give them natural means of being able to work through that emotion of boredom or that anxiety that comes from being bored. Um, are we still connected? I got a spam yeah. call calling in. Okay, perfect. Nope. <laughs> I just declined that. Um, and so being able to connect, being able to really work through those emotions instead they're being handed an electronic device to distract them from that emotion or to entertain them instead of teach them through that emotion. So then when they're in schools or anywhere really, if they no longer have access to that distraction or that comfort of the electronic device, their anxiety increases. And when your anxiety increases and you feel an emotion that you don't know what to do with, fight, flight, or freeze, is going to set in. And I think that that is what we are absolutely seeing in the schools more and more. I think that just that notion in general is what's increasing kids anxiety, which then leads to depression, which, you know, and, and it's just this whole chain effect. And so, and that is my soapbox. So if I get on my soapbox, you tell me, you know, so no, that's all right. <laughs> we like so we like soap boxes. Okay, we do. Okay. My my teenagers don't like my soap box, but <laughs> <laughs> they never do. No, but but they do understand it. They do understand it. So, um, how how do you balance that with kind of the push for additional technology in schools? You know, so like, is that a good response to um, these? additional screen times that we we have for kids or is that just kind of feeding the flame so that is a really good question so i am not anti-technology but there definitely has to be a balance um so part of the problem that we're having is especially with um you know i'm seeing it more in the younger kiddos but it's happening also you know actually k-12 really um, but in the younger kiddos, they're wanting to access the technology that's going to stimulate those neurotransmitters in their brains and give them the dopamine that they're really, really liking and wanting, which, which are certain video games, certain things that they're watching on YouTube, that sort of thing. So when they're not getting access to that one handed an electronic device, and instead we're saying, okay, you got to do this reading that is not going to give you the same you know, neurological effect as the game that you're wanting to play, that's when we're seeing the behavior spike. So the hard thing and the, the balance would be to just be offsetting that screen time with good activities as well. So because the more that they're engaging in the 
gaming and and the media that's causing those neurotransmitters to fire the more they're craving it later. So for me, for my kids, what I've done is incorporated screen time. And it was actually Michelle Obama that, um, that incorporated this with her kids. And I heard it in an interview and I thought that's a really good idea. So by offsetting, you know, you do 20 minutes of non-screen time activity or academic screen time activity, then you get for as much time as you're engaging in that, then you get your preferred screen time. So 30 minutes of academic instruction on the computer would then equate to 30 minutes of preferred screen time. And so if parents would incorporate that at home, I think it would ease a little bit of the pressure at school because then students would start to understand that no academic screen time, okay, I can then have my preferred screen time later. Healthy balance really between the two. And do your teens still respond positively to that? I just am thinking about my 16-year-old. So if you try to incorporate it when they're teenagers, yeah, probably not going to be as effective. But I incorporated it when they were younger. Um, I, can, I do not monitor it as much now, older, as I did when they were younger. My 7-year-old, I, I still do that with her. Mm -hmm. And especially with this COVID time, I've had to have the teenagers on board with helping with that. With my teenagers now, it's boiled down to awareness. I, I show them, you know, or talk to them about, okay, how much have you been on your phone? How much have you been on electronic devices? Let's see. And that awareness, having them be aware, has naturally helped them decrease their usage. I really like how you made reference to kids' responses are fight, you know, flight or freeze when they find themselves you know, into this place where they feel anxious. And if I heard you right, what I'm sensing is that kids haven't really had much practice at feeling anxious. Is yeah, that you're, true? You're exactly right. Um, rather, so if you look at, you know, out in the community and you see even at a grocery store and a child who is you know, wanting something or is bored, what did we used to do before technology? right? We would talk a child through it. We would explain to them the appropriate way to gain access to what they wanted. We would uh, purposefully ignore and let them just work through that emotion, right? Let them cry and let them, you know, be upset. Um, but now they're just immediately handed that device. So they are not familiar with that emotion. The more familiar you are with feeling an emotion, the more the, the better you you become at working through and navigating through that emotion. And so if you're feeling that in a grocery store um, as a young child, the next time it's going to be a little easier to navigate that. The next time it's going to be a little easier. The next time it's going to be a little easier. But if you never are expected to work through that, you're just handed a device um, to distract you then when now when you're in school and you're feeling anxious or you're feeling bored right you don't know how to navigate that so you want the electronic device and you can't have access to it when you want yeah yeah we've been seeing I think and Jim you can give me sense from your building but we've been seeing a, an increase in some more extreme behaviors yes. of that anxiety or or acting out or tantruming even that might be at that five, six-year-old level as they come in as kinders that right. I'm curious and I assume is attached to some of this that 
I've been distracting my way through when I don't like something and and we just don't have that freedom or that flexibility in schools. And it's really not, of course, good for kids. Exactly. Um, one of one of the most powerful things that anyone could do is is when we see a student that's becoming anxious, when we see a student that's becoming bored and is starting to fuss or starting to, you know, visibly become uncomfortable, identifying the emotion naturally brings down the anxiety. So if you can identify the emotion, okay, I see that you're bored. I understand that you are bored and it's okay to feel bored. It's okay to feel a little anxiety about being bored. Um, I recognize this at restaurants when, well, when we could go to restaurants, uh, but when kids were waiting for, for table to get seated at their table or waiting for their food and they start to feel that anxiety and they start to feel that boredom, that's okay. It's okay to feel that way. And it's okay to look at things around you and try to distract yourself and try to be aware of why it might be taking so long to get a table and why it might be taking so long for, you know, them to get through the line. And, but instead they're completely oblivious to what's happening around them. So they're not learning to work through that. So by identifying the emotion and saying, yeah, I know you're probably feeling a little anxious because you're bored. Number one, that awareness will naturally decrease the anxiety a little bit, but then giving them what is the appropriate response. So instead of yelling, instead of throwing something when you are frustrated or when you are anxiety, the better thing to do would be to, and give them the more appropriate response. And sometimes it's just saying, I'm mad, or I'm frustrated, or stomp your foot, or take a deep breath. Or really, if, if we want to really just kind of reshape that behavior in a slow way, if you want to throw something, if that's the only thing you want to do in that moment, great. Here's a pillow you can throw against the wall. Here's a stuffed animal you can throw on the floor. Those are appropriate things or more appropriate things to throw than something that's going to break or something that's going to injure someone. So rather than throw a chair, you can mm -hmm. go ahead and, and take this cush ball and throw it against the wall because that's not going to hurt anything. You know, so teach them. They're already exhibiting the action, but teach them a more appropriate thing to throw and where to throw it for now until they can get better control of that emotion. But what is the more appropriate response? Model it for them. And then the key, have them demonstrate it. So they start tying the appropriate response to the emotion that they are feeling. So, so you just gave us two great little things that we in schools can do, right? So if kids are finding themselves, especially our youngest who are just entering into school, that one, we can identify the emotion that can help soothe it on its own because they yes. might not be used to that emotion. Then you also talked about giving them options that are, you know, appropriate responses. Are there, are there other, you know, little things that you'd like to share with our listeners that just talk about um, something, you know, in this same vein, something that you could do to help kids as they transition into the school setting. Other than I think mostly just the idea of having them demonstrate the appropriate response. If we, we miss out all the time, a kid gets put in timeout, which, okay, yeah, sometimes they need a timeout because they need to be able to calm down. They calm down, but the part that we miss that's so crucial is then make them demonstrate what the appropriate response would have been so that mm -hmm. they get that muscle memory in their brain. And I use this on my teenagers too. I, my, my 
son sometimes will roll his eyes when he gets frustrated with me. And I tell him, okay, I understand you're frustrated and it's okay to be frustrated. But the appropriate response would be to say, mom, I'm frustrated with that. And let me know that verbally, because rolling your eyes is extremely disrespectful. So let's practice that. I'm going to say it again. And you're going to, instead of roll your eyes, you're going to say, mom, that makes me frustrated. Let's practice. No, you cannot go out with your friends. We are social distancing right now. What is yeah. the appropriate response? Yeah. It must mom, be I'm hard. With that. <laughs> it must be hard to have a behavior specialist as a mom. <laughs> they love it. They absolutely love it. Every day, they just think it's so amazing. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> I think you're no, absolutely right, though. We don't practice. We don't have kids, yeah. like, role play it. And I think that might be a great uh, lesson Huge. for us as well. Mm -hmm. I've been, re I've been reading this book by uh, Mark Brackett called Permission to Feel. And um, he, it's, it's an amazing book, but he divides up the emotions into a quadrant. And um, there are just so many emotions and, you know, positive and, and um, he doesn't call them negative emotions, but less energizing emotions. Right. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's just an amazing tool that I thought would be really helpful in schools because I think... Oftentimes, too, kids don't know how to name what they're feeling, right? So if there's yes. some kind of a visual that we can start to explore in classrooms about um, these are all the different emotions that there are, you know, there's so many and you can be anywhere, you know, in this yeah. range of emotions. Um, and just being able to, to point to that would be, I think, helpful. Jim, I'm glad you bring that up. Our department, uh, our behavior department, it's Student Advocacy Services is what it's called in Ogden District, but we are actually doing a book study. Those books have been ordered. I was hoping to pick mine up before uh, I came camping, but our, our department's going to do a book study on that, so I'm glad to hear that that was a, a, a good book. Oh, yeah. It's, on that. Perfect. it's wonderful. Yeah, it's really changed my, my thinking in a lot of ways. Um, I have a question, too, about um, how much you find, uh, you know, how, how often do you see kids that are misbehaving because they don't have that emotional regulation piece? And maybe that's across the board. Mm -hmm. um, and how often is it due to maybe less engaging instruction or maybe some stress that we're putting on kids in schools because we're, you know, really pushing them hard to get to where we need to get by the end of the year and not giving them enough space to really immerse in the content and, and to learn it at deep levels. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I guess emotions would play a part no matter what, right? Because even if you're stressed or bored, you have to have positive ways of dealing with it. I'm just wondering how much is kids, things that kids bring to the school where they don't have that, those emotional regulation tools and how much is what we do in schools that maybe is not as engaging as it should be or as uh, developmentally appropriate as it should be. I absolutely feel like it is a combination of both, for sure. I think uh, not spending enough time within academic instruction to really make your expectations clear, to really do that explicit instruction of what those expectations look like, having the walking those the students through that clearly, um, definitely would increase any student's anxiety, frustration 
not having engaging instruction would increase their boredom. And so as we've discussed, how students are in general because of media and because of technology are struggling to learn how to navigate those emotions effectively and then having um, unengaging instructions or expectations that are not clear is absolutely going to exasperate any kind of uh, emotional response that they that they are feeling so the way I think of it is you know you have baseline where you know kids are humans everyone just kind of at baseline we're just kind of feeling okay everyone everything is good and and then I I had um, someone compare it to me once as um, being out on an African safari and you have you know your you if you were watching the zebra at the African safari just out there grazing right they're just at baseline they're eating grass they're grazing everything is good and as soon as they feel like something might be happening they stop eating and they look up and they're kind of on alert. And I think that our students come to us on alert because expectations are not clear. There, there is becoming more of a lack of structure. And that structure and that being able to anticipate your environment is what keeps you at baseline. And so if we're not clear with expectations, if we're expecting them to do something they don't feel like they can do, and especially if they don't have the emotional capacity to navigate through those emotions, they haven't learned how to navigate, they're always on that alert. And so then when you think about, okay, now you're going to add something else to their day that's going to make them feel like they can't do it. And that's going to be, that now is putting them, you know, into that, okay, I went from something's up, I'm not quite sure what's going on to now all of a sudden, I think I spotted a lion and now I'm in fight or flight, right? And so they're coming to us on that alert when a teacher is not clear on expectations, has not established their expectations and now goes to correct the student. If they were already not understanding how to navigate boredom or how to navigate a little bit of anxiety and now you just corrected them without your expectation being clear you are the lion and you just sent them into fight or flight yeah that's a that's a great way to see it because i think we often mean well but we are not always as clear as we could be and we make some assumptions that can make things harder than it needs to be in that classroom environment for sure yeah one last question, Rebecca, if you could take a time machine and travel back in time to your younger self as you're just getting into education, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, my, oh, I wish I could go back in a time machine and tell my younger self um, my first year of teaching with even one in particular student, right? That you just go back and think, man, if I ran into him on the street, I would apologize profusely, right? Um, I would say, do not focus on what the behavior is. Focus on what it's communicating. That's if great. a student is not wanting to engage in an assignment, focus on what that is communicating. What is that student saying? Rather, or what is the student trying to communicate to you, right? Rather than what the behavior itself is looking like. Mm-hmm. Love that. Thank you. I do too. It's great. Yeah, um, I, I really am so glad that you came to, to join us today because this is something that, well, we talked about earlier, it's an increasing need in schools and we're finding more and more teachers who are just really inundated with 
behaviors and feeling like, you know, they don't have tools to be able to support kids the way that they need to. So we just need more insights, more little things that we can right. support teachers with so that, that they can get past that or at least <laughs> manage it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and I really appreciate also that you continue to focus on the child. And sometimes in our frustration, it's easy for us to forget that they have emotions, that they have feelings, that they have their own life experiences that have brought them to that place and trying to always honor uh, their side of the experience. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for joining us and uh, enjoy the rest of your camping trip. We appreciate you taking time away. Um, yeah. From, uh, from that fun to join us on a Saturday. Go make yes, some s'mores. Go make yes. some s'mores. <laughs> we will. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Rebecca. All right. Bye-bye.